righty. Well, again, welcome to Freedom. It's good to see you here today on a rainy Sunday morning. I'm glad to see you didn't melt in the rain coming in. Uh, I had planned on today, and I told you last week that today I was going to begin a new series. And uh, as I began to dive into that, the early part of the week, I felt really strongly impressed by the Lord to push that back one week. And so we will start that series next week and we'll camp there for the next several weeks. But it felt like the Lord was saying that today was to be set apart to do something different. And as I dove on into that, I realized that that's exactly what was supposed to happen. That today uh, really needed to be more of a celebration of what God has done and what he's called us to do going forward. As John said earlier, uh, today is our anniversary Sunday as a church. So happy anniversary to you. It's our sixth anniversary as a church. Uh, and it literally is today. You know, that only happens like every six years that you get to have the day fall on a Sunday. But it was August the 19th of 2012 when we had the public launch of Freedom Church. I'm curious to know, how many of you were here back when we first started in those those opening months? Stand, stand up. Go ahead and stand. I'm just curious to see. Quite a few of you were, were here in those opening days. God bless you for hanging in there for six years. That is awesome. You may have a seat. Now I'm curious to see how many of you in the room today uh, have become a part of Freedom Church since we moved to this location, stand up. Several, several brand new folks. Thank you. Hey, we're happy that you are, you're just as important a part of the family. Um, as I said, we're going to dive into really important stuff starting next week, but today uh, we, we want to just consider what God is saying about where we've been and what he's saying for the days to come. And I failed to say this, so let me pause and say thank you for those of you who are tuning in online. It's good to have you be a part of Freedom Online that way. I hope you're tuning in right now. We found out as we walked in the door this morning, we got struck by lightning again this week here. Uh, it is not the first time this summer that's happened. So I think every surge protector in the building is fried, and a few of them, most of them did their job, and a few of them let stuff get through. So I think the guys in the booth are still trying to sort some of that out. So thanks for all that they do. That's part of the reason if I don't look like I'm in the light all the time that I'm up here, some of this got fried too. So they were scrambling and on the ladder trying to get us back where we'd have a normal-looking service this morning. Um, one of the things that the Lord has really impressed on me coming into today is a passage of scripture that he's just had stirring in my heart for months. Do you ever just have that happen that the Lord will just take sometimes maybe sort of an an obscure verse or a verse that you've known forever and he just keeps bringing it back to mind again and again in all kinds of situations and maybe it's a passage that's never been particularly special to you and then you just can't get away from it because he keeps bringing it back to mind. I have one of those that for months now he won't let me get away from and it's at first probably going to seem to you like a bit of an odd passage but I am convinced that this is the word that the Lord has for us for today, specifically for the coming year, but it's also a charge to us for the coming decade. Very specific for Freedom Church. And it's found in the book of Genesis. If you've got your Bibles, I'll invite you to turn there, not because we're going to be camped on so many verses, but I want this one to get underlined if it's not already underlined in your Bibles. Genesis chapter 1, we're going to be looking today at verse 28. Somebody pointed out to me a long time ago, they said, 
the most important parts of a book are the beginning and the end. And if you want to understand the Christian experience and what Christian life is supposed to be like, you better get real dialed in to the very beginning and the very end of this book. Genesis 1 through 3 and the closing three chapters of Revelation are really important for us. You know why? Because those are the only two glimpses that you get of life as it's supposed to be. The first three chapters of Genesis, we get a glimpse of Eden. Life as it was supposed to be before sin messed everything up. And at the very end, after Jesus has come back and set everything in order, we get a short glimpse of what life is like when Eden is restored and we live the life that we were meant to live. Well, today we're going to dive into one of those two sections to consider how God intended for things to be. Now, if I gave you a pop quiz today and said, what's the first thing that God ever told us as his children to do? You don't have to answer out loud, but I want you to just think about it for a minute. If you already read the verse, you know the answer. But uh, if you didn't look at the scripture, what's the first thing you can think of that God ever instructed us to do? Because I'll tell you, his instructions have not changed in all of this time. It's still his calling for us, and it's his word for Freedom Church today and for the days moving forward. It is the words found in Genesis one twenty-eight, where we read, then, there are four things I want you to notice in this passage. He begins by saying, then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now that may seem like an, an odd passage to be the word for the church because if you grew up in church you know oh that's one of those creation verses that's that's one of those that's just thrown in there in the middle of and on the first day God said let there you know be light and and he, we go through all the seven days of creation and that's just one of those creation verses no it's far more than that it's the first time that God looks at the crowning work of his creation what he intended to be his sons and daughters, and says, this is what I want you to do while you're here on the earth. Four critical things that he says that really speak to us for now and the days going forward. And the first one is the part that would be the evil past, and it's the best part of the whole passage. He begins by saying, then God blessed them. Say it with me. Then God blessed them. Two key things just in that one little statement. Obviously the blessing of God, but the other piece of that is the then. That there's a timing piece to the blessing of God. The, the blessing came when the work of creation was finished. Then came the blessing. Six days that God worked, and when God was through with his work, how did he wrap it all up? Well, he made man in his own image, and then he made woman from man. And then what did he do after that? He blessed them, and he invited them to enter into his rest and his provision. That, things like this are really important because they inform us about what life looks like. God is the ultimate initiator and worker, and he is the one who invites us to enter into what he is doing and what he has done. When Adam and Eve arrive on the scene in day six, their first day really is day seven because they are the last thing that God does. And they get on the scene and he goes, ooh, that is everything else he said is good. Now he says, that is very good. And he blessed them and says, enter into my rest. Here's the word that I want you to hear today. For six years, 
We've been in a season of preparation. And today, mark it down, today we move from the season of preparation to the season of blessing. I want to tell you again. That's a word you don't need to miss. Today is the watershed moment. We move from preparation to blessing today. Throughout the Old Testament, from the time that the people of God understood the law, one of the most fundamental pieces of the law was understanding Sabbath. That every week there was to be a seventh day that you entered into God's rest, but there was a Sabbath year. We, we really lose touch with that today. We don't have anything that we can equate to the Sabbath year. But understand that the people of God, a big part of how they did their, their whole life together was they worked, they toiled for six years. And then every seven years, there was to be this thing called the Sabbath year. And in the Sabbath year, you just entered into God's provision, into God's rest. The seventh year was just a year of abundant blessing. You didn't have to work for it. God just did it by his power. For six years, you plowed the fields, you worked the fields, you did all the heavy labor. And in the seventh year, you entered into God's rest. And the Lord just said, by my power, I'll just pour out enough on you. You won't even have to plant. You'll just receive the harvest that I give. That is a picture of what God is saying over us today. The, the New Testament is very clear about this. Hebrews is very clear about this. There is yet today... A Sabbath for the people of God. There is a season of blessing and rest for the people of God to enter into. And today marks day one of that. We just finished six years yesterday. Today is day one of year seven. And the Lord declares over us, you've been faithful through this season of preparation, of plowing, of planting. And now you enter into a season of blessing, a season of harvest. What, what does the blessing of the Lord look like, by the way? What's that going to look like for our church? We, we know what the season of preparation looks like, don't we? It's hard. The, the preparation work is just flat out hard. Uh, my parents introduced Jackie and me, I don't know, several months ago. To a, uh, a reality TV series. I don't know if PBS did this or, or who produced it, but it's called Pioneer Quest. I don't know if any of you have ever seen it before, but it is one of the most unusual reality shows. They take two young to middle aged couples, young, maybe younger middle aged couples, and um, they take, I don't know where they took them, it's somewhere in America, but they took them into the boonies on a piece of property that they had set up. That had nothing on it except just wild stuff. And they, they plant them there for a year to live and survive. And, and that's the challenge. Discover what it's like to have been a pioneer. And they, they leave them with like a horse and a, you know, an old-fashioned plow like you might have seen in the 1800s and a tent. And so these two couples live in one tent together. And they're, they're plowing ground that has never been broken before. 
They don't, they've never driven a team before. So they're having to learn how to, for a solid year, how to do from scratch all the stuff that the pioneers used to have to do. You, you can go back and watch this on Amazon. It's, it's still out there. It's, it's one of those things that will just blow your mind and make you appreciate what the people who have gone before you have done because it is so incredibly hard. And one of the things that stands out in that series is you know, they've got to have food, and so they've got some seed to, to put out, but they, they've got to get the seed planted so that they'll have food for themselves and for the, their animals in the months to come. But they're having to break up this ground that's never been broken before. And it's just it's, it's laughable at times, not just because they've never done it before, but because most of us have never experienced what it's like to try and break ground that has never been broken before. It doesn't look like, I mean, some of you are, are old enough farm folks, you know what this is like. You, you've done it before. It's just somewhere between hard and impossible what they're trying to do to just break the ground. And I've remembered that image many times when I think about what it's like to plant a church. You're breaking ground. And it's hard. It's just an incredibly hard thing to do. For most of of my lifetime, about 80% of the churches that were planted in America just died. Went belly up, closed their doors, never to reopening. And I, I heard in the last month about a sister church plant that had launched six months ago, had been meeting for five months, and then they closed their doors for the final time. They're, they're, they're done. It no longer exists as a church. And it's a sad thing to hear because it's such a common thing. Because it's so hard to break the ground and do the planting, to do the work of planting a church. Most of us, I mean, how many of you are like me that you, you've spent most of your life in church? Let me see your hands. Most of us, a lot of thoroughly churched people in the room. And most of us have been to church in places where somebody else did the pioneering work. They broke the ground. And we just enjoyed the benefits of it. And what you discover when you join a church plant in the early years is it's a lot harder it's a really challenging thing. Now, the reason that I ask for people to stand, if you were here when we first started out, is because we're an anomaly. I've met with church planters for years, and the norm in church planting is the pioneers, the ones who are like those crazy folks on Pioneer Quest who will show up and do the pioneering work, almost never are willing to be settlers. Pioneers seldom become settlers. They love to be where the groundbreaking goes on, and almost always they'll leave in the first two years. And then you have to have a whole different crop of people come in behind them and be the settlers who will be the church. And in this church, we've got a nice mix of both. Together, we've been doing this pioneering work that's hard work where you start out and you don't have facilities and you don't have a student pastor and a children's pastor and a worship leader. I mean, those of you that stood up, do you remember what worship used to be like when we were starting out? That's exactly right. It's called karaoke because there's nobody on stage leading it. It's recorded and you flash some words up on the screen. We did karaoke worship for a while. So, Tony, you just have no idea how much of an upgrade you are, brother. You and the whole band. But the Lord says... You're moving into a season of blessing from a season of preparation. You look around and realize we're already entering into a season of blessing. I mean, how big of a blessing is it that a year ago we were in a rented facility on a dead-end road that few people could find and didn't have a whole lot of money in the bank? 
We had enough we thought we might could improve a building if we could find one. We had about $100,000 that we had saved over six years' time. And finally, we found a building that we felt like was the place that God had for us. And we bid it out every way we knew to bid it out. And the best bid we could get was $150,000 to fix this thing up. And we thought, well, we'll just step out in faith. We've got 100000 If we trust God, he'll make a way we can come up with another 150000 And six months later, we discovered it cost $320,000 to get in this building. And by the provision of God, we moved in in mid-December without a dime of debt. That's entering into blessing. That's God's provision. It, it's a blessing that we are in a place as nice as we are. Honestly, there's no other church in Fairhope that's at a more central location than where we are today. And we don't have a dime of debt for having done that. That's the blessing of God. If you're not convinced of that, stand up and do a 360 and look around the room and you'll be reminded we don't have Mr. Moneybags that attends this church that pays for everything. Jesus took ordinary people like you and me and did something impossible last year. Now, I will tell you, it broke the bank doing that. And we entered into this year with essentially nothing left and knowing that our rent and utilities and all were doubled. And so it, even that was just another step of trusting the Lord. Now, we don't talk about that a whole lot in here. I don't want you to fret about that. I will tell you, Mike Sappington and I, as pastor and treasurer, we probably lost a little sleep over that because we're looking at the balances going, oh, my goodness, everything's going to cost a whole lot more. And here we are eight months later, and there's... Somewhere in the neighborhood of $60,000 in the bank. And we're actually looking at purchasing the building and the bank next door to us right now because of the provision of God. That's one little step toward moving into the blessing of God. little step. Now, I'm not 100% sure that that's what God's got for us. In my gut, I think that it is. But that's pretty cool to think that we were broke eight months ago. And we are pretty close to having a situation arranged that we can buy... Both the church and the bank. I got to tell you, there's a great irony in that. You, I, I'm telling you, you've never known. You think I'm joking? You've never known anybody who's been turned down by more bankers for loans than me. You think I'm kidding? You see, this was my tenth building project. John knows this because John was with me on staff when we were doing this. I have been turned down by every bank just about it that you can think of for loans for churches. And now, God's working things out so that if we want to, we can buy this and the bank. How funny is that? Every bank you can think of has turned us down, and we're going to buy the bank. We're not going to own the bank, but we're going to buy their, their building. That's that. <laughs> yeah. Would you leave them? I don't think they have any over there. <laughs> That's just a little picture of how God blesses, though. I really do believe that there are three things that God's saying that, that when we enter into the blessing that we'll experience. And, and again, going back to the Old Testament concept of entering into the Sabbath and the season of blessing. First of all, you enter into rest. This is the blessing of rest. Who could use that this morning? Who would receive the blessing of rest today? The thing I hear people say more than anything else when you ask them how they're doing, it was two things. I'm busy and I'm tired. And to that, the Lord says, enter into a season of rest. Now, this this doesn't mean that you don't have to do anything anymore. Remember, work was a part of the equation in Eden. But you see, work was a joy and it was fruitful. 
After the fall, the Lord said, who is going to be by the sweat of your brow? You're going to do it now. You're going to be fighting thorns and thistles from this point forward. When you enter into the season of rest, it doesn't mean you never work anymore. It doesn't mean we're not going to have to serve and give and do our part. But it means it's not such a burdensome, toilsome kind of thing. You do it with joy and with the favor of the Lord. You see, favor makes all the difference. Which leads into the second part of the blessing. And that is... Blessing means fruitfulness. It means a season of harvest. Literally, in the seventh year, you just got to harvest what you didn't plant. God says, I'll handle the planting this year. I'll be the one that that produces the harvest and you just receive it. It's funny, I'll I'll talk with pastors, I've I've watched this for years, we'll talk about, we've just gone year after year after year, and we've visited, and we've, we've, you know, done everything we can do, we've sent out buses, we've sent out cards, we've done all the stuff, and we just don't seem to ever reach anybody, and then they'll just hit this season where it's like, we're not doing anything different, and suddenly there's just a harvest. People are getting saved, people are being reached, the church is finally doing what it was supposed to do, and we hadn't changed one single thing that we're doing. I don't understand it. I can tell you what it is. You've gone into the season of blessing, you've gone into the season of harvest. It's God giving the harvest. I'm not trying to suggest we don't have a role to play and we don't have work to do. We do. But you can work like a a Trojan. And not see a harvest when the blessing and the favor of God is not there. That's why my soul is so stirred and so excited this morning. Because God has spoken. And he says, you now enter into a season of harvest. And there's a third part of the blessing. And it is the joy of connection and relationships. When you go back and look at what's the whole thing of, of the Sabbath year. And by the way, every seven Sabbath years, they got an extra year. It's called the year of Jubilee. God's just into giving these seasons of blessing and rest. So in the big scheme of things, he makes years 49 and 50 a double two years of celebration where he just pours out so much. But when you get down to what happened in these seasons, why did God give these times? Was it just because they needed to just lay around a whole lot? No. Ultimately, it was... It allowed them opportunities to experience the joy of connection and relationship. Because when all you're doing is just work, 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 work all the time, you don't have time to enjoy your family. You don't have time to build bridges of relationships with friends and small group. But the season of blessing is a season of just getting to enjoy connecting with people and with God. And this is the blessing that God invites us to rest fruitfulness and connection don't you miss that last part this year God wants you to enter into rest he wants you to receive the harvest but he wants you connected this year and you're going to have to take some steps to do that today and this week are going to give you an opportunity for that second part of the verse says this and God said to them be fruitful and multiply A great reminder that we have a calling at Freedom Church, a calling and an anointing for multiplication. We talk about multiplication a lot around here. All living things multiply. When your body stops multiplying cells, we've got to put you in a box and dig a hole because you're dead. When you stop multiplying, you are not alive 
Freedom Church is called to be a multiplying church. Multiplying at two levels. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because you hear me talk about this a lot. But we have a specific calling to be multiplying other churches and other disciples. And we have a, a strategy and are working toward both of these. I want you to understand that in a very specific way, God has called us to both of these things. And he wants you to be a part of that. First of all, at a personal level, he's calling us to multiply. I guess every church that I've ever been a part of, at least in theory and with what we say, talks about the importance of discipleship. Got to make disciples. The problem is, I don't know that I have ever, prior to freedom, been a part of a church that had a multiplying plan for discipleship that it was actually implementing. And to get specific about that, the piece that's always been missing, I've been a part of discipling people and having been discipled by people, but it was never designed with a multiplication factor in mind. And that's why here we do things differently. I believe God's given us a bit of a blueprint for how we're supposed to be doing this. So the discipleship plan that we follow, it's very simple. Here's what it looks like. One man leads Two or three men at a time for one year at a time. One woman leads two or three other women for a year at a time through a specific discipleship plan. There are some particular books that we work through. Essentials of discipleship, essentials of leadership, and then some other material beyond that. But you spend six months on the, the basic theological concepts and essentials of discipleship. Three months on learning leadership skills and then another three months that are more personalized things. In that year, we're we're just seeking to do three things all the time. One, build a theological foundation so that we are centered on the Word and we know the core truths of our faith. Number two, we stay centered every week on personal sharing, that we find out what's going on in each other's lives, and we're, we're praying for each other, but we're pulling each other up on the practical things of life. How we're doing, how we're doing in our relationships, in our work, in our marriages. So... The word, personal sharing and transparency, and then the third piece is accountability. We agree on the things that really matter and how we live out our faith, and we hold each other accountable to those, not in a legalistic way, but just pulling each other in the right direction. We are called to be disciple makers. Disciples have to bring discipline to the table. So we check each other out in terms of the disciplines. What, What is your quiet time looking like? How many days have you been in the Word this week? And what's God saying to you? What are you studying and what are you learning? We're studying together and we're sharing together about these things. What's the voice of the Lord saying to you? What's the Lord teaching you right now? And we rotate leading that. After about six weeks of doing this together, it's, the baton is handed off and we just move around the circle of the different person leading every week. And from day one, everybody in the circle understands you don't start doing this. This is the dynamic that makes it different from what I've ever been a part of. You understand from the first day that if you're in this circle, you have agreed not just to give this year and to be a part of being here every week and doing the study through the week, but you're agreeing to give at least one year back that you're going to lead either two or three men or two or three women through the same thing, asking them to make the same commitment so that it multiplies and it multiplies again and again. If we do this... I'm on my third cycle of doing it this way. If you just started with one man and one woman doing this, and you didn't do groups of three, you just did two people each, so that it is, it is groups of three, but you're only leading two at a time. 
And if every person that took part just took the challenge and they just did it a year at a time. And nobody ever did more than two people a year. You started with two people. You just continued doing two people per year. At the end of ten years, you would have covered every lost person in the state of Alabama in ten years. I'm sorry, every lost person in in ten years, you'd cover every lost person in in the in Baldwin County. In less than fourteen years, you'd wind up covering all the lost people in our state. In twenty years, you would have covered the population of the planet. Starting with two people. And you never disciple more than two people a year. You just stay faithful to it. It's the power of multiplication. I want us to have a vision that's bigger than who's in the room. God's called us to multiply. Can you imagine when God looked at Adam and Eve and said, I want you to be fruitful, multiply, make babies, make lots of babies. I want you to fill the earth. Do you not look around and go, "Uh, come on, God. It's a pretty big planet. I mean, we hadn't seen all of it, but the garden's pretty big. You want us to fill the earth? I think Eve's going to be pretty tired before we fill the earth. We do the spiritual equivalent of that when we look around and go, Well, just look at us. Just one little church meeting in a storefront kind of space, and we're supposed to multiply and fill the earth. That's exactly right. Multiplying at a personal level, staying faithful to it, And by the way, I want you to be praying right now about God's timing for when you get involved in multiplying discipleship. Don't, don't, let me just call you out right now. Anybody who's sitting there going, I just don't think I could do that. Don't you think that for a minute. For the people who have been through this, wouldn't wouldn't you agree that this is very doable for every person in the room? I'm looking at several people who, who have already done this or are doing it. You don't even lead most of the time. You're just walking through this together, sharing and learning and growing together. I want you to be praying about God's timing for you to be a part of this. And you speak up when God moves on your heart that it's time for you to step into this process. Multiplying at a personal level. Secondly, we're called as a church to multiply at a church level. The church was designed as a living thing to always multiply. And we've lost that in our DNA in America. And thankfully, in the last decade or two, the church is rediscovering that. Freedom Church is called to multiply. The Lord has called us as a church to plant at least five churches in the next ten years. That is a gigantic challenge. When you look around and go, we're supposed to plant five churches in ten years? Yep. And we're already busy working in that direction. We're already developing a next church planter. We're already developing a plan and a financial plan for how to do that. We believe it's going to be in Baldwin County. I think it's going to be on the 59 quarter that we get to plant for the first time. Do you realize that a part of what that's going to mean is that some of the most faithful hard-working, praying, giving people in this room and that the Lord will add to who's in this room are going to wind up walking away from here and going somewhere else to help plant. And I know some of you in your spirit just shuddered and went, Ooh, I hope not me. Because <laughs> that's how we think. It's more comfortable staying where you are, right? Some of you guys are going to call away to be a part of a plant permanently. Some of you guys are going to call away to be a part of a plant for a year. As a commitment to the Lord to help it get up and get started, you're going to be a pioneer and then you'll come back and remain where you are because this is maybe closer to home for you. And we know we're called to plant churches that continue to plant. That's multiplying. There's only a tiny 
fraction of 1% of churches in the Western Hemisphere that ever plant churches that plant churches. And we're called to this. We have an anointing for this. The third thing the passage says is fill the earth and subdue it. We have a global role for extending the kingdom, which can only be fulfilled through radical sacrifice and strategic partnerships. Our calling is not just to make a difference in Baldwin County and here in the U.S., but to impact the world. He says, fill the earth. And Freedom Church has a responsibility to go into places around the world. Look out here at Butch, and he was just here in our leadership circles. We prayed this morning. Butch is leaving Friday or Saturday, which did you say? Leaving Saturday, headed to Robinall, Guatemala. He is on a scouting trip to a part of the world that most people are not making vacation plans to go to, scouting things out uh, with Mary Purvis, who leads Guatemala Guatemala Landing Zone. Thank you. Um, Charting the course for another mission trip to Central America next year, following a return trip to Tizamine with DCI. The leaders of DCI will be with us next month. Here's the cool thing. We don't have to go out and found ministries in all of these places. God's calling people to these places and he's calling us to strategic partnerships to invest in and support what he's doing in these places. So yes, we'll return to Mexico this next year. We'll, by the grace of God, we'll go to Guatemala. We'll continue to be involved with Isaiah in Nigeria and we believe by the grace of God in time be sending teams to Nigeria and wherever else God opens the doors and we want you to to pray about what your role is supposed to be in that. I think a lot of you are going to be called to go at least once to the foreign mission field. It will change you forever when you do. A lot of you are called to, to be faithful in praying for a particular country and a particular ministry. You are called to give, to help provide the muscle for ministry in these places. We have a calling to this. And the fourth and final thing that he says is, Have dominion over every living thing that moves on the earth. We have a calling and anointing in the realm of spiritual warfare, deliverance, and recovery ministry. That call, have dominion over every living thing. That's a kingdom word. You take the kingdom. You bring the dominion of God, the rule of God, all of the righteous justice of the kingdom. You bring it to bear everywhere you go. And I'll tell you what, you go to the mission field and you discover that everywhere you go, there's a desperate need for the realities of the kingdom of God to be brought in. Because there is injustice, there is unfairness, there, there is poverty that exists as the result of oppression. Systematic oppression. The reason that it's so important that we continue to go into Mexico. Here it is, our next door neighbor. And they live with horrible levels of crime, violence, and poverty. Where the majority of the population is just living under the oppression of a a very small number of people who have the power. They use money and violence to keep people in poverty in terrible places. Jackie and I not long ago were in Mexico and we're talking to a very intelligent guy who's lived his entire life there. and He was just describing what life is like there. He, he wasn't crying about it. He was just saying, this is the reality that we live with. He said, the average worker, folks I deal with all the time, make $10 a day. And we pay $4 a gallon for gasoline. The average worker in Mexico spends 60% of their income on the cost of getting to work and back. Just the transportation to get to their job and back. Can you imagine that? 
If you're the average worker, that leaves you $4 a day to live on after you pay for gas or public transportation to get to work and back home. And lest we think, well, you probably can buy a lot for $4 down there. Yeah, you can buy a gallon of gas. Can you begin to let that sink in to realize how much we need as the people of God to bring the justice of God and the generosity of God and of his family to bear in those situations? You see, the good news really is good news in these places. We're called to bring dominion, not so that we can beat our chests and go, we've got the power, we rule the world, America's the strongest nation on earth. We're not called to extend the rule of, of democracy or of capitalism. That's not where we're called to extend. We extend the righteous rule of God in the form of the kingdom of God. And Freedom Church has a specific anointing and calling in doing this. Every church has a calling to extend the kingdom, but we have a specific calling in extending this in a way that particularly is an anointing in the areas of spiritual warfare, deliverance, and recovery ministry. You realize, don't you, that different churches have different anointings and callings. I mean, yes, in a general sense, every church is called to the roles of discipleship, evangelism, worship, fellowship, and ministry. We're all called to do those five things. And yet within that calling, every church has a special anointing to do certain things really effectively. And you have the favor of God to do that. I mean, if you think about it, you could probably put churches with these specific things. But like, there are churches in our region that have a specific calling, say, for healing. I can think of a church or two right off the top of my head that they have anointings. It doesn't mean you can't get healing any other place, but it's like if something really bad's going on, if you're smart, that's probably one of the places you check out because there's an anointing for healing. There are certain places where there's just an anointing for worship and that, that's just such a strength of the church that worship is just so strong. There, there are churches that have an anointing to make a huge difference for those who are in poverty and, and Addressing social and physical needs. We have a special anointing in the areas of spiritual warfare and deliverance and recovery ministry and those are tied together. They're tied together because these are both all about people whose lives are held in a bad place because they are in bondage to something. They're in bondage to a demonic influence, a controlling habit, something from their past that haunts them and they cannot get free from it and God has said over Freedom Church I give you an anointing to set people free I mean part of Jesus basic declaration of ushering in the kingdom in Luke 4 was all about that I have come to set the captives free those who are in bondage suddenly get liberty where the kingdom comes in and that's why we have the name Freedom Church because from day one, when I didn't understand all the reasons why God said call it Freedom Church, only with time do you begin to understand. God says, you have an anointing to bring people into freedom who've lived for years in bondage. You ever been in bondage? I know you're not supposed to admit that on Sunday morning, are you? You're supposed to just look righteous and holy and just blessed all the time. Have you ever been in bondage? The preacher has. Truth be told, every person in this room has. Every one of you watching and listening online has been. Everybody's been in bondage at some time. Have you ever been set free? Oh, it's like getting saved again, isn't it? 
the thing that just has haunted you, whether it's guilt and shame over your past or just something you just can't get free from. You, you, maybe you're just bound to destructive relationships and you ever get out of one bad one, you think, now I'm going to be all better. And three weeks later, you're sucked into a worse relationship. You just, you, you're bound to these unhealthy relationships or these controlling habits. I can't stop eating. I can't stop drinking. I can't stop taking pills. I can't stop gambling. I can't stop doing porn. I can't stop whatever it is you fill in the blank. You just live in bondage to it and you tell yourself for a while, but I could stop if I really wanted to. I'm really in control of it. And you finally realize, no, I'm not. My life is controlled by this thing. And so you confide it to a friend. And that makes it better for a little while and then it comes back. And you go to a good therapist and you talk to them about it. And that really seems to help for a while. And then it just runs back over you like a truck. And you just start thinking, well, I'm just going to have to live the rest of my life with this. I'm just going to have to bury it deep and keep it a secret. And the good news is God says, no, you don't. You don't have to do that. You can be free. And in this church, he said, I am establishing a base of operations where you can get free. You can get free from the controlling habits, from the relationships that destroy you, from the guilt and the shame, from the fear and the anxiety, whatever your hurt, your habit, your hang up. We have an anointing. To call broken people into a place where it is safe to say, I'm broken. I am jacked up beyond jacked. I am messed up. And we don't just glory in being messed up. That we can say, come on, you are in the right place. People who've got it together don't belong here. Jacked up people belong here. But here's the cool thing. We jack you back down. Jesus sets you right. You don't stay jacked up. You get right with God. And in this place... He binds up the brokenhearted and he sets the captives free. We have an anointing for that. Look around the room. That's who you worship with. You worship with broken, bound up, guilt-filled people in the past who have found freedom from that and who are getting free. This is why we talk about Celebrate Recovery all the time. Because it's such a fundamental part of our calling. To help people get free. Now, here's the kicker. You can't do the stuff we're called to do. Let me just stop mid-sentence on that. Wouldn't you think that a lot of what I've described is way beyond us in the natural I mean, how many of you think that's like, whew, pastor's been drinking happy water. I mean, it's just, that's like way, way beyond what we can. Absolutely it is in our power. It's going to take the power of God, I mean, way more about God than our, our abilities for this to happen. But it's going to take a second piece. It's going to take an army of men and women who up to now have been con- content to pretty much be in the shadows but who will now and in the future step out and say I'm willing to serve I'm willing to lead I'm willing to learn I'm willing to do what I don't think now that I could do it won't happen without it the typical church thing of 20% of the people doing 80% of the serving and the giving and the leading and the teaching and all of that it won't cut it it's going to take an army of people. It means there can't be a safe corner in this room or in this family for people to hide in and go, I think I'm just going to be an attender. 
You can do it for a little while. It's part of my job to make that really uncomfortable long term. To say Jesus didn't save you to sit. I'll never forget. One of the first times I ever said that as a pastor and church planner. I made oh, I made some people so mad. I mean, they had to come see me and tell me they were leaving the church over it. How dare I stand up and tell them that Jesus didn't save them to sit. They were very comfortable sitting. You probably are going to want to sit somewhere else in another church. Because if that's all you want to do. Because God has called us to more than that. And we can't be the church he's called us to be unless we're willing to lead and be trained to do more than what we've been doing. That's part of what I'm so encouraged about. It's part of what we celebrate today. Next Sunday, we'll be setting apart one of those new and emerging leaders. Charlie Lemon, the end of this week ahead of us, will finish his undergraduate work with Liberty University. And Katie says, praise God, along with Charlie, that that is done. And next Sunday, we will be licensing Charlie to the gospel ministry as a part of celebrating that and and, uh, blessing that. Today, as a part of our celebration of our anniversary, we're setting apart another leader. And uh, honestly, in many ways, we're setting apart a couple. Because those of us who've done leadership and ministry for any length of time know if you're married, you do it as a couple. Carl and Kristen Wade have been a part of our church family almost since day one and really predating the church here because they were a part of our church family back when we were at Coates for years. Uh, Today we are setting apart, after literally years of praying over this, we're setting apart Carl as an elder of the church. There is uh, no more important position of spiritual leadership in a church than the role of the elder. And so um, in line with what Paul says in 1 Timothy 5, we are never hasty in the laying on of hands in setting apart an elder. Up until now we've had two elders, and that's John Beck and myself. And we've known as we're supposed to be branching out and entering into more things that God's called us to that the Lord would have to raise up other leaders. And so we celebrate what God is doing in setting Carl apart as the next elder of the church. And I realize some people may go, I'm not even sure what an elder is or what an elder does. I want to take just a couple of minutes to remind you just briefly from the word what this whole idea of elder, the elder role is. In the Old Testament, the elders... It wasn't a role that was voted on. They were just the people who were universally recognized as the spiritual leaders of the community. They were the place where godly wisdom resided. And when you needed help, you needed guidance, or you needed resolution in a difficult situation, you just went to the elders of the community. And that concept carried over into the New Testament that the church needed to identify who are the the spiritual leaders, the wise ones that we can look to for for guidance and for a covering within the body. And so in Acts 13, you see the church beginning to discern this, where the church in Antioch, which was, was kind of a nobody church until you know the Spirit of God just begins to move there, and then they become the most important, world-changing, mission-sending church on the planet. At the church in Antioch, there were some prophets and teachers. And there was Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manaean, and Saul. And these men were serving the Lord. That's a key piece. You don't set apart people for a role like this unless you've seen them faithfully over long seasons serving the Lord. They were serving the Lord and fasting when the Holy Spirit said to them, Appoint Barnabas and Saul to do a special work for me. 
I love how God's really specific. I got a task for everybody, but I've got a specific task for these two. You set them apart for the calling I have for them. They are the ones that I have chosen to do it. It's not a volunteer thing. I picked them. So the church prayed and fasted and they laid their hands on Barnabas and Saul and they sent them out. It's part of what I love about what we're doing today and next week. We're going we're gonna to do this. We've been praying. Fasting, seeking the Lord. We've been doing this for years. And now we're beginning to see the fruit of this as we enter into a season of blessing. So these guys go out. That's in chapter 13, chapter 14. As they go from community to community and uh, southern Europe and Turkey and the islands of the Mediterranean. They chose elders for each church by praying and fasting for a certain time. These elders had trusted the Lord. So Paul and Barnabas put them in the Lord's care. That's ultimately the number one thing that an elder has to do to be a leader who trusts in and follows the Lord. Now, you may ask yourself, what is it that an elder really does? Well, to provide spiritual leadership is a key piece. To be a shepherd for the flock is a good general definition. But there are some specific things that you need to be able to count on and call on an elder to do. James refers to this in James 5 when he says, Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. Don't you love how straightforward that is? And if you've committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. Now, we may read that and go, wow. So it's just the elders that have the power of God on them to heal the sick? No, no, no. That's not what he's saying at all. But sometimes, whether you're talking about a spiritual sickness in the form of demonic oppression or a physical sickness, sometimes you'll run into a tough nut to crack and you'll pray for healing and you'll pray for deliverance. And while you have the power and authority to do those things, sometimes you'll run into a situation that you go, wow, we're not getting results and we'll need to intensify what's brought to bear on that. He says in those situations, call for the elders or go to the elders and let them stand with you. Here's a a mental picture that I want you to carry when you think about this kind of thing. Remember that in the kingdom of God, and by the way, in the kingdom of darkness as well, everything works along lines of authority and a chain of command. When you get in line with God's order of authority, much like in the military, you get in line with that, you tap into the power of God for whatever the need is in your life. The power of God gets expressed through lines of authority. It's why when there's a situation in your home or in your family, there's something going on with one of your kids. There's, there's a sickness or there's you know, something spiritual going on or there's rebellion going on. As a parent, maybe as a mom, you begin to pray and take authority in that situation and pray with authority. Well, you as a follower of Christ, and especially now if your child has come to a place that they're a person of faith, man, you're starting to line things up in this, this chain of authority. And the power of God is expressed through you in such a powerful way in their life. Now that gets intensified... If as husband and wife, mother and father, you line up together on this and you bring that to bear in their life. It becomes even greater when you bring somebody in spiritual authority over you, like your small group leader, who is your immediate pastor. You line them up over you. You may need to get to a place on a certain issue where you need to get the elders of your church in line over you so that all of you are in line and you are bringing the power of God to bear on that situation. The picture that I want you to have in mind when you think of this is one that I remember from my childhood very well. I used to love it when the prize in the Cracker Jack box was the little magnifying glass. That was so cool. The reason I loved that was because on sunny days, 
when there ain't much to do in Brundage, Alabama, which is always, you could go out in the backyard and you could use that magnifying glass to set a dry old pecan leaf on fire by using the magnifying glass to take the, the power and the heat of the sun and to, to narrow it down in an intense fashion. And the guys in the room know we didn't just burn leaves. Yeah, we were killing ants too. You, 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 bring, the, you bring that power to bear and suddenly... It's, it's not that the, the magnifying glass had the power. The sun has all the power. You see, the sun represents God. He's the one with all the power. We are the magnifying glass that just intensify that. We bring it into focus in a particular situation so that suddenly stuff happens. Well, you see what happens when you line people up in authority over you. Your spouse, your small group leader, your, your elders... It's like you're putting one magnifying glass on top of another so that now you're creating laser beam focus. It's God's power brought to bear in a way that breaks the strongholds of the enemy, that breaks the the power of sickness and frees us up to walk in what God has for us. Make sense? So we all have a role to play in that. First Peter, Peter gives us a good description when he says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. Be as shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. That's a big part of the calling of an elder. Shepherd the flock. Make sure that people have what they need. You're there to serve the flock, not to be a lord over anybody. And one final word on the role of the elder. Paul says in, in Acts twenty twenty eight. So keep watch over yourselves and over all the flock which the Holy Spirit has placed under your care. Now here's the thing the Lord said to, to close what I'm going to share today with. That's a passage for every one of us. Not just for those who have a calling to be an elder in Freedom Church. Because the truth of the matter is, in a very real sense, God's called every one of us to be the shepherd of a flock. And he says, you, you, you take care to watch yourself, watch your life, and watch how you lead and love and shepherd the flock under your care. Who has God made you a shepherd for? See, everybody here has got a circle of influence. Some of it's your family. goes beyond your family. Some of them are people you work with. Some of them are people who live in your neighborhood. Some of them are extended family. People you hang out with, you see at the gym. Who's your flock? And are you serving as a shepherd to that flock? Because that's his calling on your life. This is how we extend kingdom influence. I want you to have a, a moment to... Uh, to get to know a little bit better one of the shepherds of your flock, the newest shepherds, I'm going to invite Carl to come join me on stage. And I'm going to invite you to give a warm freedom welcome to Carl. Okay. Um, Mark asked me to... T- for me to come to you guys and tell you a little bit about my life and uh, and for me to be able to tell you about what Jesus has done in my life, I can't tell you just about myself. I've got to tell you about the people who impacted my life because that's what my testimony is all about. It's all about the people who are around me. And that, that started for me at a very young age. 
um, because I grew up in a family where my dad was a music and youth minister in a Southern Baptist church. Mom sang in the choir. And so I was literally, literally at the church every time the doors were open. And most days when the doors were closed, I was still there. Um, I grew up learning how to play hide and seek in the church building and not at home. So I knew the ins and outs of every corner of that building, and I could hide from anybody. Um, But what that did for me, um, besides being able to learn how to play hide and seek in the church, is it exposed me to Jesus at a very young age. Um, The people in that church, the the Sunday school, as we called them, um, not small group leaders, but I had some wonderful ladies who loved me very much and taught me about Jesus. And there were the people in the music ministry that I was there with all the time who loved me like their own child and taught me about Jesus. And at the age of five, uh, I came to know personal Lord and Savior. And I can tell you exactly where I was when that happened. And it's not where you think. It wasn't in the church. It wasn't in the building. It was actually in my mom's van. And I was coming home from my Mimal's house. And back seat. And I knew at that point, Jesus put something on my heart, and he said, you're mine, and I need you to, I need you to come to me. And so, sitting in the backseat of my mom's van, I bowed my head right there on the way home, and I asked Jesus to come into my heart and be Lord of my life. And I got home, and I told my parents, and, and they said, in the van? I said, Jesus said he needed me. And so I turned to him, and I came to him at the age of five, just like a little child. Jesus says, come to me with the faith of a little child, and that's exactly what I did. And so that's not the end of my testimony. That's the beginning of my testimony because my testimony is, like I said, is about the people who impacted my life. And Jesus, he started it off very young, and then he put people in the church to impact me. And see, what happened at the age of seven, I found myself underneath a lawnmower. And my left arm uh, was chewed up pretty bad. Uh, you may or may not have noticed the way or the scars on my arm. Um, but for more or less, I should have absolutely lost my arm. And it should have, they probably should have contemplated taking it off for me after the accident because it was so bad. Um, I had, Chris and I talked about it. I actually couldn't remember how many surgeries I had before the age of 12. It was somewhere between 6 and 12 surgeries to do the reconstruction of the arm. Um, it was completely redone, nothing in my arm. Every time they do had look at my arm to try to take blood, they're like, what do we do? And I said, just don't touch it, please. Uh, just leave it alone. Um, and But there was so much that happened in that. There were so many people in my life at that time that were praying and they prayed hard and it was the people of the church that we were a part of Um, the door when I was in the hospital it never stayed closed there were just people constantly coming in coming in coming to see me coming to pray over me and in that God worked miracles because they put my arm back together and the doctor told my parents said we got it back together you know it's there It's, it's attached the bones They put pins and screws everywhere in there. I had bolts sticking out the side of my arm with pins connecting on the outside because they couldn't find a way to keep it together because of all the scar tissue and the damage. But he worked a miracle in that he put it back together 
They told, they told my parents, they said, it probably won't grow. His arm will probably be the size it is the rest of his life. If he gets any movement out of it, we'll be surprised whatsoever. You can see what happened. It grew. It became strong. It was a miracle because there were people praying. There were people impacting. And it was because they loved Jesus, because they had a relationship with Jesus that they wanted to impact my life. And so... My story continues to to move through life. And so seven years after that, we're still a part of the church that my dad is the Southern Baptist Church. And you have to excuse me if your life is an emotional time. And so there's part of what life is, even though I'm, I'm a Christian and I've been a Christian from the age of five. You're still going to receive pain in your life. And, and I've I've had that pain in my life. I've had the physical pain. And I've had the emotional pain. And at the age of 14, my parents divorced because of choices that were made and sin that happened. And the church that we had been a part of asked, us, asked my family to leave. And that's a, that's a hard thing to deal with at the age of 14. And in my life... I knew that I was still a Christian, and by the the grace of God, that he gave me a mom who didn't give me a choice to go to church. She just said, you're going to go. And I said, Mom, I don't really want to go. <laughs> My mom said, I don't care. <laughs> you're going to do what I tell you to do, and you're going to go to church every Sunday morning. And she found a church for our family to go to. And so I was in church. When I was set from 14 through high school and college, before, right before I went to college. But my life, I was in church, but my life did not represent what it should have. It was not an example of Jesus. It was not the example that Jesus had set out for my life. I did things, made choices, hung out with people that I was not supposed to. And I, I was in church. I was a hypocrite because I would sit in the pew and I would sing on Sunday morning because I was fearful of my mom, who, but told me I was going to be there. Um, I was there, but my life was not an example of someone who, sh- who would be in church. And I, I took off um, my first year of college. I took off to go play college football. And I was going to go and you know, have a good time. And I chose the school to go to. And I believe that God took me to that school. Um, and my mom was an influence in that because I sat in the kitchen one day with her and said, Hey, I need to choose which school I'm going to. And she said, Well, what do you feel like God's telling you to do? And I, and I told her what school I thought he was telling me to go to. And, and, and she said, Well, if that's where you think you need to go, then that's where, you, where I think you should go. And I said, Okay, well, it's decided. Well, the school that I chose was... Was um, was the number one party school in America? Um, it was. It was. I'm gonna use the word Playboy because Playboy is the one that ranks schools for party schools, and they have their top ten list that they put out every year of the top ten party schools in America. And the school that I chose had an asterisk at the bottom. It was not in the top ten. It had an asterisk. It says we don't rank schools like this. <laughs> That's the school that I went to. But by the grace of God, when I got there and went to school and played football, I didn't get along with the coaches. And it was devastating to me. Um, every week in football season, I was on the first line 
I was the first, I was on first string every week until Saturday. And it was time to get on the field to play. The guy who outweighed me by about 70 or 80 pounds was the one who always played. And I never played. I played 10, 10 rounds in the first season. And after that, I said, I'm not playing for coaches like this. And God brought me home. And that seemed like something that was devastating in my life, but really it was just, again, God working to have people to impact my life. Because, see, what happened when I left, a man by the name of Kim McCormick, um, this is another emotional part of my life, because of the impact that people had on me and because they loved Jesus. And Kim had become the youth pastor at the church where my mom and my family was still attending. And I, when I came home, he was still there, and God put me in his path. And when I came into Ken's path, my life was changed because Ken impacted me. Ken became my mentor. Ken became my friend. And he became my overall hero. And in that relationship, my life started to take a different role. And it went back to what my life was before the emotional turmoil in high school. And... um, he took me in this, this path of, of starting to work with students, and I became his summer intern when I came home, and I worked at the church with him for the entire summer, and when the summer ended, he said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm going to school. He said, I still need help. I said, okay, I'll be here. I'll, I'll be here every Wednesday night with you. I'll be here every Sunday night. I said, I'll just be here to help you. I said, I love what, what we're doing. I said, this is the best thing that I've ever had happen to me, and so I said, I want to be here with you. And so I... I was there with him, and I ended up, after intern, summer came back around. Next summer, he said, we want to we want to do something different. We said, we well, want you to be a summer intern anymore. We said, we want you to be the associate pastor. And so I became the associate um, student pastor under Ken and worked with him through that. And then as it, we became, the church began to grow and the ministries began to grow, they said, Carl, we need a children's pastor. And they said, we want you to be the children's pastor and I said, I would love to. And so God had pulled me in and called me into this ministry and to do ministry to kids. I love kids. I love working with kids. Um, it's such a, a blessing in my life to be able to do that kind of thing. But, but God used Ken to draw me back in, to bring me into where he wanted me to be. And I tell you that because it impacted me, and I want my testimony to be to you guys you are those people. To someone around you, just as Marcus said in his message, you are to impact someone around you. I don't have a testimony except for the people who impacted my life. I have a testimony because of them. They impacted me because they loved Jesus. Um, to close it out, after so after ministry with Ken came to an end. I started my current career. Um, I'm a, I work for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers over in Mobile. Um, I'm a contracting officer. I signed my name for the government. I spend all of your tax dollars. I'm sorry. Um, but God also put a, a wonderful woman in my life, my amazing wife, Kristen. And... Uh, He blessed us with three wonderful children. And there was a time after that ministry, um, Kristen and I actually met when I was serving uh, with Ken. And we got married shortly after 
that ministry time. And, and but there was after we left from that church, we kind of wandered around Baldwin County for a little while from church to church. And just not sure, as Kristen likes to say, none of the churches were good enough because I knew all the the stories behind everybody at the churches. And so none of the churches were good enough, but we we found uh, Mark, and we we joined Freedom. And in joining Freedom, I'm going to tell you what happened. You already know the story, though. God impacted us through people in the church. And that's my testimony. God continues to impact me and my family through the church. And that's my, I tell this to you because I want you to be that. I want you, God wants to use you. Jesus is the best friend that you can have. He can work miracles and does amazing things. But you know what he really wants to do? He wants to work it through those who love him. He wants you to be his hands and his feet. And that's why I have a testimony. is because people have done that. When we came to freedom... And we met Mark, and, and Mark called us up one day, and he said, Hey, we want you to be a small group leader. And I was like, Are you sure? He's like, Yeah, yeah, we, re- we really do. And so we, we did. We started stepping in, and that was the first thing we did at Freedom is we, were, we left small group. And then uh, Mark called me one day, and he said, Hey, I want you to be a part of the discipleship group. And so Mark has continued to impact me and my life because he's doing what Jesus has called him to do. And my life has changed, and, and Mark is a great example, and, and I strive to, to, I'm sorry to embarrass you, but I, I strive to emulate Mark, because he is a great example of what God has called us to be like. And freedom is, a, is an amazing place to be, and I'm glad to be a part of this church, um, and even more to be a part of the, an elder of this church, and to, to help lead you guys. And, and I want to do that. I want to be to help you with whatever there is that you need help with in your spiritual walk. Just as the people in my life have done that in the past, as they've prayed for me for healing, they've prayed for me in emotional stress, they've prayed for me and brought me back into the fold when I had stepped away and and gone on my own path. Um, And all of this... My testimony is is God calls us to different things at different times in our life. The biggest thing that I think that the reason my life continued to be impacted by those who love him is when I would hear God calling, and I knew that it was God calling me because I I knew God from a very young age, so I, I know who he is. And when I would hear him calling, I would say yes. When, when Ken came and, and, and just met me and introduced himself, and I don't even remember what the first thing was that Ken and I did. It was probably either hunting or fishing or working out, because that's what we did all the time. But he impacted me, and I said yes to Ken. And, and when Mark called, I said yes to Mark. And that's the thing that I believe of why God continues to impact me and continues to draw me back in and has allowed me to be a part of his family is because I say yes. And I believe that that's what he wants from you guys. And and I believe this lines up exactly with Mark preaching this morning. He wants you to say yes. Because he's calling you. He is calling this church to something different and to something great. And he wants you to say yes. God is the the great shepherd. Jesus is the shepherd. He is watching over us. And my life is proof that he's there. But my life is also proof that that doesn't mean that there's always going to be blessings in terms of financial or, or no pain 
Because I'm proof that even under his watch care from a very young age, you go through a lot of physical pain. You go through a lot of emotional pain. But guess what? He's there. He's waiting for us. He's waiting to take that into what he wants to mold you into. He's going to use that situation that you've been through that has impacted your life and and sent you down this path. And you go, where am I? And he says, hey, I'm over here. You just got to say yes and walk towards him. And that's, that's my life. My life is, I've been impacted by those around you. So I'm asking you to be the church, to be Jesus, to be the hands and the feet, so that people like myself can be impacted. Because there's people in this church, there's people outside this church, there's people in your family that need to be impacted. And it only happens through your hands. Jesus is calling you, just say yes. Great job. I'm going to invite you, Carl, to... We're going to do this a little bit differently. I'm going to ask you, if you will, Carl, to stand right over here at the floor level in front of this aisle. And Kristen to come stand right over here. And um, we're going to do what we find in the Scriptures, the pattern. And that is we believe in the uh, power of prayer and the laying on of hands. And so what I would like for us to do just a little bit differently today, I'm going to invite the men who would like to be a part of this to come and lay hands on Carl. And ladies, I'm going to invite you to come and lay hands on Kristen. We want to just ask today not only for God's protection, but for there to be an anointing and a covering over these guys and over their family. We see in Scripture, Paul talks about how Timothy's life was changed after the elders laid their hands on them and prayed for him that new gifts were stirred up. And so would you pray today that there would be an outpouring on the lives of Carl and Kristen as we go to the Lord together. I'm going to invite John Beck to lead us in prayer, but I, I want you to know this is not a spectator sport right now. I invite every one of us, whether you're still in your seat or gathered around, to, to just join together in praying for an outpouring now on these two as we go to the Lord. Father, we come before you now and we just lift up Carl and Kristen's and, and we thank you, Lord. You, you provide every resource we need. And what we see now are, are the trusted servants we have in these two who, who are always there, who are always willing, and who do frequently, whenever they can, say yes. And as they step into this role right now, Father, I ask you to put a hedge of protection around them and their home. We know that when you walk faithfully, you become a target. And we know that you are our sole protection. You are where we place our faith and trust. And I just ask you to continue to give them wisdom and walk with them as they walk within this church. when you call us into your family and you you heap on top of that honor when you call us into ministry and to roll different roles of service we give you thanks for Carl and Kristen we pray that today your spirit would rest on them in power we pray your protection over them and over their children over their home and we do pray for an outpouring now Lord that you would consume their hearts with
a burning desire to know you, to grow in you, and to make you known. We pray that you'd stir up fresh gifts in them, that you'd give clarity about their calling for the specific roles that you have for them here of freedom. We ask that you give them favor as they lead, that you give them favor with their children, that you give them favor in their marriage. Let your power rest on them. And above everything, we pray that you bring much glory to yourself by the work that you do in their lives and in this church family. And we pray that in the strong name of Jesus and all of God's people said, Amen. Hi. Thanks so much for taking time to tune in and listen to the message today through Freedom Online. Uh, We would love the opportunity to meet you personally any time that you're in our area. But if today you heard something that really connected or that maybe you've got questions about, you'd like to talk with somebody or have someone pray with you, we'd love to hear back from you. You can reach us in a couple of different ways. You'll find on the website a contacts link. You can contact me or any member of our leadership directly. Or you can call us at the number that you see on the website or at the bottom of the screen now. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope that you have a great week.